0: Isn't it great that we have a God who always keeps His promises? You know, one of those promises is found in John chapter 14, where Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself that where I am, you may be also. Uh, Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back from his church. And We were discussing that last week as we continue our journey through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So I want to encourage you this morning to take your Bibles, your electronic devices, and join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as we continue this series that we've entitled Upside Down. The Apostle Paul had wanted to go to Thessalonica to encourage the believers. Satan put a roadblock in front of him so that he was not able to get there. Well, Paul eventually sent Timothy to them. And Timothy went and encouraged the believers. And then Timothy came back to give Paul a great report on what was going on in Thessalonica, but also brought back questions to Paul concerning different things. Now, one of their questions that they asked had to do with the rapture of the church. We talked about that last week. Another question that they had was about things... Uh, beyond the rapture of the church, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, a period of time in the Scriptures that's called the Day of the Lord. Now, I want us, before we jump in to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, to do kind of a contrast between the two passages, the one that we looked at last week and the one that we're looking at this week. You'll see that Last week, as we talked about the rapture, the focus was on salvation, how God saves us. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage that talks about God's judgment. Uh, last week, we looked at the passage, and Paul said to the believers, We do not want you to be uninformed. To the passage this week, he writes to them and says, We have no need. Of anything to be written to you. So that last week, the teaching about the rapture and the question that they had asked was new teaching for them. Uh, What we have today is a review of the teaching that Paul had done in the church. Uh, Last week, the the pronouns that we looked at concerning the rapture were pronouns that we and, and us. Uh, They, the believers, and Paul himself expected to be taken in the rapture. Uh, This morning in the passage, I want you to notice how the pronouns change in the passage. And sometimes he'll be talking about we and us, but at other times it'll be very clear he's talking about them, they. Uh, There's going to be a contrast between two different types of people. Paul said in the passage that we looked at last week that we were to comfort one another with those words, and this morning's passage he's going to say that we should edify one another or build one another up. Uh, The message last week was one of assurance to the believers And this morning's passage is going to be one of encouraging us to be sober, sober sober-minded as we consider what is ahead. So with that kind of a background, let's look at our passage this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Please follow along as I read. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers... But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. So last week we focused on the rapture. This week we are going to be focusing on the day of the Lord. Now the term day of the Lord is used four times in the New Testament. It is used in Acts chapter 2 verse 20 in Peter's sermon. It's used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 2. It's used in 2 Peter 3.10, and then it is used here in the passage uh, before us. Now, all of these references to the day of the Lord find their basis back in the Old Testament. There are many Old Testament references to the day of the Lord. And what is common with all the references is that it talks about judgment, it talks about wrath, it talks about the anger of God, and it talks about God taking vengeance, all of which are not very popular subjects in our culture today, and all of which run contrary to what some Christians want to portray God's character as. We will hear a lot about love and a lot of forgiveness, but we will not hear much about a God who gets angry and a God who is going after justice and a God of vengeance. But the day of the Lord speaks to that. Now, as we approach this term, the day of the Lord, I think it's important that we define the day of the Lord. What are we talking about here. And for me, the best way to define the parameters of the day of the Lord is to look at what the Scripture says about it. And Peter, in 2 Peter 3, verses 10 to 12, I think gives us the parameters of when the beginning of the day of the Lord is and when the end of the day of the Lord is. Listen to what he writes in 2 Peter 3, verses 10 to 12. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness?" Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Now, even though there is a lot of disagreement among Bible teachers and scholars to define the day of the Lord, all of them will agree it's a time of God's wrath, it's a time of God's judgment. But I see the parameters that Peter has given us, that this is a day that begins after the rapture of the church and ends with the new heavens and the new earth being created. Now, last week we talked a little bit about the timing of the rapture and how there are individuals that have different opinions, you know, brothers in Christ that differ on that. But I think all would agree that the day of the Lord begins after the rapture of the church. And so because I believe the rapture of the church is going to happen before the start of the tribulational period, I believe in a pre-trib rapture of the church, the events of the day of the Lord would include the uh, tribulation period of seven years, followed uh, by Christ's return to the earth, the millennial kingdom, and then at the end of the millennial kingdom where uh, Satan is uh, thrown into the lake of fire to join the, the two false beasts, there within the lake of fire, and then God creating a new heaven and a new earth. I would put those as the parameters that when we talk about the day of the Lord. So if we look at the passage, in verse 1, Paul says this, now concerning, I want to pause there for just a moment. The words that Paul is using there in verse 1 are words that he uses throughout his epistles. He uses it quite a few times in the book of 1 Corinthians. And basically, what they mean is he is making a transition, he is going on to a different subject. He had talked about the rapture, now he's moving on to discuss the day of the Lord, and he's going to move on to discuss the behavior of the people. And how we should behave as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, You see, in the Scriptures, there are quite a few passages that speak about prophecy. And, And I love Bible prophecy. I love studying it. I don't consider myself to be an expert in it, but I do love studying it. And you can't preach through the Word of God without talking about the prophetic passages. But some people become totally preoccupied with things that have to do with the last times. Uh, We had a couple in our church some years ago who came to me and wanted me to preach on prophetic themes every single Sunday. They said, uh, you could become the prophecy church in town. And every you can discuss all the fine details of all the different prophecies, and, and there's nothing wrong with studying them, but as I said to them, I'm not going to do that. I'm charged by God to preach the whole counsel of God, not just prophetic passages. So it is important that we realize, even as the Bible speaks to us in these prophetic passages, it's not for the purpose of only increasing our knowledge it's not for the purpose for us to just constantly be debating every fine point that comes with the passages on prophecy the emphasis is always on Jesus is coming back that should affect the way that we live We should live righteous and holy lives in light of what the Scriptures tell us that's going to happen in the future. And so I think you'll notice as we go through this passage, you'll see that emphasis by Paul, how we should live. But Paul says, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers... So notice right right away, he's going to put out there that he's going to be talking to those who know Christ. Brothers are those who have put their faith and trust in him. The word for times is the word that we would use for referring to time of a clock, time on a calendar. It's like a, a measure of, we even get the word chronology from this word, uh, the order in which things are coming. Now, the word that's used to speak of seasons is a word that refers to a longer period of time, a block of time. And notice Paul uses the plural with both. Now concerning the times and the seasons. So whenever you talk about prophecy, whenever you talk about events in the future, what is it that people want to know? What does everybody want to know? When? When is this going to happen? When is this going to occur? And notice what Paul says to them. You have no need to have anything written to you. See, part of their question is, when is the day of the Lord going to come? Tell us the date. (laughs) Tell us the time. So we can know for sure. And Paul says... You have no need for me to write to you about. He taught them about that when he was with them before. Uh, remember, when, when Jesus was on earth and he talked to them about things in the future, what did the disciples want to know? Oh, when, when are you coming back? When, when, when is the date that you're coming back? And Jesus said, that's not for you to know. said, Jesus, in as He self-limited His knowledge even when He was on earth, said even the Son of Man doesn't know, the Father only knows. When Jesus ascended into heaven from the disciples, what did the disciples want to know? They wanted to know when the angel says, this same Jesus, you know, He'll come back to you. They want to know when it's going to be. Tell us the date. Paul says, there's no need that I even write to you about that. I taught you this when I was with you. The day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. How does a thief come? Have any of you ever been robbed at home? Had anyone break into your home? We had several people in the first service that had people robbed. But a thief doesn't call you and say, hey, you're going to be home 2 o'clock this afternoon. I want to come get all your stuff. No, that's not how a thief operates. It's a thief too. He comes when it's least Expected, He comes when he thinks nobody will be at your your house. This concept of a thief in the night is one who's just going to come totally and completely unexpected. Paul tells them that in verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, in verse 3. Now notice kind of the change there. It's not while you are saying, it's while people are saying. So we're going to see a contrast here of two types of people. We have the brothers on one hand, and we have the non-believers on the other hand. Paul has addressed them there. As, as brothers, right up in verse one, and then now he is saying he's going to talk about non-believers and how they live. Now hang on with me because we're about to move very quickly uh, this morning. Uh, if you were here on time for the service, you'll recognize that I messed up this morning and went way over on time. Uh, you know we've we've changed our times of meeting. And as I was looking at the clock, I thought I had to 11 o'clock. And uh, I guess Bruce was in the back waving his hands, (laughs) saying, Butch, you got to quit. you got to quit. I guess they had a whole bunch of them, and I was just so focused on getting through the the passage. And I've never done that before, ever in my life. I felt so bad that I just kept going. So uh, get ready. Buckle up. We've got six minutes to get through the rest of this. So, I'm going to just uh, throw it out there as quickly as I can. Uh, you know, there's, there's different ways to teach. Sometimes it's slow and methodical and, and pausing at every word, and, and sometimes you spend a whole sermon on just a couple words. And then uh, I had another professor that said, and sometimes when you're not where you need to be in the passage, you just go machine gun style. You just shoot it all out there, and you hit whatever you hit, and you go on. So that's what we're about to go do. Machine gun style, here it comes. All right, non-believers, there will be the appearance of security in verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, I relate that to the coming of the Antichrist, that when he first comes upon the scene— He's riding on a white horse and there is going to be the appearance of peace. He's going to sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel that kicks off Daniel's 70 weeks. But there is going to be this man who's going to seem like he brings peace to the world. But, verse 3 says, Then sudden destruction will come. When the whole world thinks there's going to be peace, destruction will follow. Verse 3 There is no escape. Paul says, when they are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now ladies, you'll understand this more than men, how labor pains come on. Uh, When you're about to have your baby... The labor pains get closer and closer together, and they get, become more and more intense. And then you know what? It's time to get to the hospital. And most families prepare for that. Uh, they have a bag pack, uh, They have someone arranged, if they have other kids, to watch those children. But it just comes suddenly. So it's going to be in that time. This judgment, this wrath is going to come suddenly upon them. Verse 4, it says, But you are not in darkness, brothers. So when he says the brothers are not in darkness, what's he implying? That those who are not brothers are in darkness. So they're in darkness. Verse 5, He skips over to the believers and says, For you are all children of light, children of the day. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are in the light. Jesus is the light of the world. We walk in that light. We don't walk in darkness. He then goes on and tells us, Be awake and be sober. Verse 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake... And be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. We are children of the light. So Paul is telling us we should live as children of the light. The word to be sober means to be calm and collected in spirit. To be temperate. To live our lives in a way that will be pleasing to God. All right, Paul then tells us verse 8. To put on faith, love, and hope. The breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope. That's what we are to do. Isn't it interesting in all Paul's epistles, this is the way that he, he evaluates churches in the area of their faith, their hope, and their love. And it's not that the church in Thessalonica had been failing because back in chapter 1 in verses 2 and 3, he talks about their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope, and how that is being spread through all the region. Wouldn't that be wonderful that our reputation of a chur- as a church is a reputation of there you're going to find faith, you're going to find hope, and you're going to find love. That's what we are to be about as individual believers. In verse 9, he talks about, once again, the non-believers, because he says, for God has not destined us for wrath. He's not destined his children for wrath. We, as believers in Christ, will not endure the wrath of God. And I don't think this is referring just to hell where God's wrath is poured out. But there's the time upon the earth that God's wrath is going to be poured out. And Paul tells us, we have not been destined for wrath. So those who do not know him will be destined for wrath. In chapter 1, in verse 10, Paul had promised that that Jesus would deliver us from the wrath to come. And that's a reference to the period of time when God pours His wrath out upon the earth. We are not destined for wrath, but we are destined to obtain salvation. See that in verse 9? For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. So only one way to be salvation. One way to be saved, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in Him. And with that, when you accept Him as your Savior, comes the guarantee that the wrath of God has been satisfied for us as believers. Jesus paid the price on the cross for us. So we are to obtain salvation. And then notice as he ends in verse 11, where he says, Therefore, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The thoughts of what's going to happen in the future, we should be encouraged knowing that our God is in control of all these things. We need not fear. I believe we are coming to a time in America and coming to a time very quickly where they, there may very well be open persecution of those who claim the name of Christ. We should not be surprised at that. We should be ready for that. But I want us to know, no matter what happens, our God is still in control. And our God is coming back for his children. Oh, that that would happen even today. Not because we want to escape this world. We're not afraid. Our God is is able to take us through whatever happens in this world. And he can protect us. And he can guide us and direct us. But just as a bridegroom is waiting for his bride. Remember back right before you got married. You didn't want that to be delayed any longer. You wanted the marriage to occur. So as a church, as the bride of Christ, we long for our bridegroom to come back so that we can be with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to be faithful in proclaiming your word and in serving you in Jesus' name, amen.